This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Northwest Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth, according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 1708 Elm Springs Road in Springdale, Arkansas. I really appreciate the opportunity to come out here today. Uh, I talk loud, so hopefully I don't blow your speakers out this morning. But I just want to dwell on for a second. Isn't it wonderful that we can come together and worship God in this way? That we're free from persecution, that we're here with the body of Christ, and that even though I've not met some of you before, we're brothers and sisters. We're family. I see some familiar faces out there, and uh, I look forward to meeting the ones that are not familiar yet. You know, sometimes, though, a person can lose their appetite for this. Sometimes people lose their appetite for church, for God, even though they may have experienced the kind of sweetness that is here in this service this morning. That's happened in my life before. It may have happened in yours. It may be where you find yourself today. And so I want to start by sharing with you a story of such a man. It was a bright Sunday morning in 18th century London. But Robert Robinson's mood was anything but sunny. All along the street, there were people hurrying to church. But in the midst of that crowd, Robinson was a lonely man. The sound of church bells reminded him of years past when his faith in God was strong. And the church was an integral part of his life. It had been years since he had set foot in a church. Years of wandering, disillusionment and gradual defection from the God he once loved. That love for God once had been fiery and passionate, but it had slowly burned out within him, leaving him dark and cold inside. Robinson heard the clip-clop, clip-clop of a horse-drawn cab approaching behind him. Turning, he lifted his hand to hail the cab driver, but then he saw the cab was already occupied by a young woman who was dressed in finery for the Lord's Day. He waved the driver on, but the woman ordered the carriage stopped anyway. Sir, I'd be happy to share this carriage with you, she said to Robinson. Are you going to church? And Robinson was about to decline. And then he paused and he said, yes, I'm going to church. So he stepped into that carriage and he sat down beside that young woman. And as the carriage rolled forward, Robert Robinson and the woman exchanged introductions. And there was a flash of recognition in her eyes when he stated his name. She said, that's an interesting coincidence because... And she reached into her purse and withdrew a small book of poetry. I was just reading a verse by a poet named Robert Robinson. Could it be that he took the book from her and he said, yes, I wrote those words years ago. Wow, that's wonderful, she said. Just imagine, I'm sharing a carriage with the person who wrote these words. But Robinson barely heard her. He was absorbed in reading those words, which are up on the screen here. They were words that would one day be set to music and become a great hymn of the faith. You may know it. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. And then his eyes slipped to the bottom to a verse that's been removed from many recent iterations of this song. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. He could barely read the last few lines through because tears had begun to brim in his eyes. And he said to her, I 
wrote these words, and I've lived these words, prone to wander, prone to leave the God I love. And the woman suddenly understood what you also wrote. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. You can offer your heart back to God, Mr. Robinson. It's not too late. And it wasn't too late. For Robert Robinson went ahead, went to church, and that moment he turned his heart back to God and he walked with Him the rest of his days. Not without struggle sometimes, but he came back to the Lord. The title for my message today is Prone to Wander. Perhaps like Robert Robinson, this is true of you too. I know it's been true of me. I chose this topic because there are two things that will always be true in our walk with Christ. One, our sin has been forgiven and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ when we accept Him. Two, sin will remain in our lives. It will be a problem that we deal with while we live in this fallen world. Sin is like a foreign agent. It's like an infection that tries to afflict our spiritual bodies in Christ. And sometimes we do get sick or wounded due to its presence. And when that happens, we need to know how to respond. There are some of us here who would rather suffer than go to the doctor. There are many reasons for that. You know, sometimes we're afraid of the diagnosis. We would rather remain ignorant of what could be wrong with us. Sometimes we don't want to have to undergo the treatment for that kind of illness. And sometimes we just don't want to hear about the changes we'll have to make in our lifestyle in order to get healthy again. And in the end, we make the problem worse through our failure to address it, to acknowledge it. We can pretend that we're not sick, but we are. When it comes to being sick with sin, we need to know how to treat the wound, the sickness, so that we can be healed and returned to fruitful service for the Lord. We need to be healed so that we can experience the peace and the joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. You know, when we're sick, we're usually not fit for the the work of the Lord, and our time is just too short. It's just too important, the work that we've been given, to be unnecessarily laid up in bed while the harvest is coming in. So I want to examine one of the hard things of the Bible this morning, the problem of sin and its effect in the lives of a believer, you and I. Yes, even saved men are sometimes infected by sin. Solomon made the wisest man ever to live, past, present, or future, by God Himself, said in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, For there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. Paul, arguably one of the greatest, most influential Christians ever to live, said in Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 15, I'm using a different translation than the King James on this, because I want you to hear it this way. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. 
Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? That was Paul speaking. And with sin, there oftentimes comes feelings of guilt. We experience guilt because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And we can sense that as saved Christians, can't we? When we return to the sin from which we have been set free, the Holy Spirit goes with us as an unwilling witness to any defilement that we bring to God's temple, our body. And friend, when you grieve the Holy Spirit, He does not stay silent, does He? David said in Psalms 32, verses 3 through 4, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. The King James Version says, When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. Sin brings a burden that is not only heavy, it's corrosive. It's like leaching the strength from our bones until they are brittle and they break under even light strain. Unchecked, unconfessed sin in the life of a Christian is a wasting illness that takes a toll that is greater than even the worst cancer. The cancer of sin robs a man of his physical and spiritual health when it is allowed to remain in our lives. And it's made worse by the fact that the world and increasingly the church don't want to discuss the problem of sin or what's right and wrong anymore. And I ask you, what good has denial ever done anybody? You know, David saw this. And he poured out his heart in prayer about it. And this prayer is going to be found in Psalms 51. It's where I'm drawing the text of the lesson from this morning. And I want you to know from the beginning that this lesson is not a, uh, something meant to berate and chastise about sin. It is a lesson meant to point us toward the great physician, make us aware and understand that we need his healing hand in our lives. You know... We cannot cleanse ourselves, and yet we must submit to cleansing. When we start reading in Psalms chapter 51, if you'll turn there, verse 1, David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. In David's prayer, we see a desperate plea, Have mercy, Lord. My sin haunts me. It hounds me. No matter where I go, there it is. Sometimes it seems as though I am sin. When I turn away from it, I find I'm facing it still. For sin just sometimes feels like it's who I've become. Do you ever feel like that about sin in your life? Sometimes our sin feels too great or too repetitive to deal with. And as we let it sit and fester in our lives, it causes us to waste away spiritually, even physically. This is the state of mind in which we find David. 
at the beginning of this prayer. You know, one preacher described David's state of mind as likened to, as likened to some great battlefield. It's at nightfall. The battle's been wild and brutal. All about lie the dead and the dying. The whole world, if you were there, seems to be wells of pain, desperation, hopeless agony, pierced and bleeding souls suffer and cry. And each one says, me and my, with a dreadful sense of ownership. Everyone feels that they are the chief and the greatest sinner before God. Oh, what a burden sin is. Which one of us can bear it? And we have the curious predicament of always bringing offense against the very person, the only person, who can do something about it, right? You know, in human nature, the more you hurt me, the less inclined I am to forgive and help you. Isn't that right? And sometimes I think we wrestle with that concept in our minds about God. Sometimes I think we ask ourselves, well, how could God want to heal me or forgive me because I've wronged Him so often, specifically after I accepted His Son, Jesus Christ? Sin is a source of great dread, for we know in the deepest recess of our hearts that it is, verse 4, against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. The writer of Hebrews said in chapter 10, verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And this is the reality. Sin is a poisonous cocktail of shame and fear. You know, the unsaved person can find pleasure in sin. But once the soul is quickened, that changes, doesn't it? Sin now makes us feel vile and loathsome. Its touch is defilement. Its presence is abhorrent. Its effects are dreaded as the most terrible thing. And so when it comes into our lives, we're ashamed to admit that it's there and we're fearful of the consequences of its presence in our life. There are many people who like the soft drink Coca-Cola. I like cola myself. I like it knowing that it's too sugary. I like it knowing that it can make me unhealthy. I like it knowing that if I'm not careful and I drink too much of it, I will soon not be fitting in my clothes that I have. But the effects are slow moving. And they're not instantaneous, so it's easy for me to have a Coke now and again. And if you're like me and you're from Texas or even the South, everything's Coke, right? <laughs> but did you know that Coke can remove rust? Did you know that Coke can cause osteoporosis? Because it also will eat away at your bones. Now, if we saw these effects instantaneously, if we saw that it was corrosive and dangerous, that it causes lasting, sometimes irreversible harm, well, we'd probably not drink Coke, right? But we tend to live in sort of a short-sighted moment of what we desire and what looks good to us regardless of the consequences. This is an affliction that particularly affects us in our youth. Sin works just like this in our spiritual and physical bodies. It damages both. The problem is that 
It is a slow moving corrosion that one doesn't necessarily notice until real life changing damage has been done. You know, somebody accused me last time I gave this lesson, like, you left those ugly teeth up there way too long, Brian. <laughs> But focus on that for a minute. And think of the symbolism of your sin. You don't have the benefit of seeing that when you're taking sin into your life, when you're allowing it to remain there. I will tell you this. I can assure you that if you are taking sin into your life, if you're doing this knowingly, perhaps willingly, and you haven't done anything about it, it is eating you alive. It's making you hallucinate about God's blessings, provision, direction, will, and care for your life. You will not see the good. You'll instead fixate on the bad. Even though Paul told us to focus only on good things, there is no man or woman more miserable than the Christian who has experienced the cleansing power of Christ and then been made dirty again by sin. And isn't it true that when we find ourselves covered in the filth of sin again, that everything around us that maintains its purity somehow begins to condemn us and put us to shame? It might be people we love. It might be church. It might be the Bible. It might be God. You know, they show what we've lost, don't they? And they intensify the pain, the shame, the fear, the guilt. And so what do we do? We push away and we push away. And we just continue to make the problem worse. And that's really the reason why I'm speaking about this this morning. Because I know that if you're like me, and you are, that sin creeps into your life from time to time and it can be difficult to deal with, especially after you have made it clear that you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, isn't it? Sometimes that, sheer, that shame and fear causes us to behave not as a soldier of Christ, not as a joyful pilgrim spreading the good news, but as a defeated, bitter cynical person that's hardly distinguishable from the lost of the world. Undealt with sin can render us useless in the cause of Christ. And that's why we're talking about this this morning. Not to point a finger and make you feel bad, but because we don't have the time or the luxury to forfeit God's great work for us in our life by rendering ourselves a dull or broken tool for Him. There's an old hymn that says, Let Him have His way with thee. Well, when we allow ourselves to be driven into hiding from the church, from the work that God has given us, we are letting Satan have his way instead. That is exactly what he wants. Take the worker out of the field because they feel dirty, useless, or unfit for purpose. Do you ever feel that you are a farce, a fraud, or a fake? Satan wants that. Satan wants us to feel like we live our lives merely as actors, where we portray a character, we say the right lines, we wear a fancy costume, and we even receive applause and praise from the audience of our peers, but we feel we're living a lie. Satan wants that in your life. If that describes you, if it has ever described you, just know you are in good company this morning. And you have hope. Because David was there as well. 
Let's see what he did as we continue to read. He repented. He didn't live in denial. Verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Or put another way, these two verses say the following, I've been out of step with you, God, for a long time. In the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then. Conceive a new, true life. Precious friend, do you need to repent? Chances are only you know. If you do, have you come to the point where you are broken over your sin? I am not just speaking to the lost, but also to the saved Christian. I'm speaking to the man or woman of God who has undealt with sin in their lives, just as David, the man of God, the premier type of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, just like he had. David was burdened by his sin, and today, brother or sister in Christ, you too may be burdened by your sin, trying to hide it. Notice, David did not say, I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. No, he told God he was done struggling to handle things by himself. He needed God to step in and get to the heart of the matter, which was a place David could not reach, even though he wanted to. You see, we must cast aside pride and beg for help. What comes next in David's prayer is what we need. Verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You know what you see here is the utter desperation David felt over his sin, coupled with his supremely confident hope that God was able and willing to cleanse him. When guilt-burdened, penitent David prays, wash me. He's certain that he's reached a point where he cannot wash himself. This is of key importance. So often we get twisted in knots over sin we cannot handle ourselves. And there's some level of pride or disobedience even in our hearts that prevents us from really begging God for help. We have to let God do things His way. David accepts helps on the help on the helper's terms. So let's look at those terms. What is this hyssop that he talked about? In the Old Testament, dried hyssop was what was used to sprinkle blood as part of the Jewish Passover. It's what they used to paint the blood on the doorpost for the Passover. Hyssop was mentioned in the Bible for its cleansing effect in connection with plague, leprosy, chest ailments, and symbolically in cleansing the soul. In Leviticus 14, 5-7, you can read about the cleansing process used to declare the leper clean. And leprosy is a picture of sin because it defiles, spreads, and destroys a person. In Bible times, hyssop was both an herb and an oil used as a purifier. The name actually means holy herb. And it was used in rituals, teas, wound healing, baths. The easiest method to use hyssop was by adding some of that liquid extract to your cleaning water. David understood that he needed a special cleaner. He needed the spiritual cleansing of God. He didn't need more willpower. 
He didn't need different circumstances. He didn't need anything he could do for himself. David is asking for more than the ceremonial ritual cleansing of the blood of bulls and goats. He knows he still needs blood. Hebrews 9.22, without shedding of blood, there is no remission. But the blood from animal sacrifice was not enough. So he asked that ritual ceremonial blood sacrifice be augmented. Be enhanced by an agent symbolized by hyssop. And hyssop represents Christ, the Son of God. And when it is His blood that is applied, true cleaning can occur. There is power in the blood. We don't talk much about the blood anymore. It was talked about so much in the first century church that Christians were accused of being cannibals. Like, what are you talking about? Eating the Lord's body and drinking His blood. And they were persecuted for that. And perhaps today, we've gotten too big for our britches again, and we don't want to sound foolish talking about the blood. What a shame. Because it's only the blood that allows us to be saved. David essentially says, God, you purify me with your spiritual antiseptic and I will be purified indeed. Because the ritual and the ceremony that accompanies the blood of bulls and goats, the efforts of mankind to be righteous and good, it just isn't cutting through the grime. And Lord, I am sick of the grime in my life. Lord, I've been out of step with you for a long time. I've been in the wrong since before I was born. God, I know that what you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then. Conceive a new, true life. You see, David is broken by his sin. And he casts the broken pieces of his life before God. And he says, God, I'm through fooling with them. Please, you Make this right. Heal me. Cleanse me. He knew he needed the Savior. He didn't try to ignore it. And he grew sick and tired of feeling sick and tired as a result of his sin. Have you ever been truly broken over your sin? Ask yourself, do I really want forgiveness? Because I'm here to tell you a truth this morning. The only reason you would not have forgiveness is if you don't want it enough to seek it. Because God is willing and able. And there's another interesting fact about hyssop that I want to point out. It turns out that hyssop is an excellent aid in regulating blood pressure. It's considered a heart tonic. And when the blood pressure is too low, it will balance it. If it's too high, it can decrease it. Hyssop strengthens your heart both physically and emotionally. On the board, there's some symptoms of physical high blood pressure. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when you have undealt with sin in your life, your spiritual blood pressure is off the charts, isn't it? One minute you're depressed, the next you're anxious and angry. You lash out, and then you become despondent. Perhaps we have a nosebleed because we keep our noses high in the air with pride. Perhaps we have trouble seeing clearly because we focus everywhere but on God. Perhaps we experience some facial flushing due to constant anger or perhaps embarrassment and shame. And I imagine some have trouble sleeping 
Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Understand this, undealt with sin will prevent your spiritual and your physical rest. Sin is producing all types of negative effects in our lives. It will take away our peace and joy. It will impact and harm your spiritual and your physical health. But praise God, there is a remedy. God has provided us with the miraculous hyssop that is His Son, Jesus Christ. David saw this, and he asked God to give him that blessed medicine. Have you taken your medicine? Have I? Because we have to remember that we don't gain immunity to sin. It's not a vaccination you get once and then you're immune. Would that it were, but it's not so. What of the person who says, well, I already took my medicine. I mean, I could say that I took my medicine and was baptized back in August of 1991 and I received a blood uh, transfusion from Christ. Praise God. Praise God. But let me ask you something. Will there ever come a time in my life where I can afford to stop receiving that blood? Does my body start producing that life-saving, cleansing blood on its own even after I accept Jesus Christ in baptism? Can I afford to wander away from Christ because I have been once cleansed by that blood? Absolutely not. We are continually in need of and experiencing regeneration the spiritual cleansing of Christ's blood until we're called home. That's how it is in this life. In Romans chapter 6, Paul delivers his well-known teaching on the fact that grace is not a license to sin, that there must be a heart change. There must be an effort to obey as servants of righteousness. We are set free from sin unto good works. What we were unable to do before, we have been freed so that we can do so now. But we are still prone to wander, still prone to return to the sin from which we are freed. Now, the Bible says David was a man after God's own heart in Acts 13, 22. You can read that. Imagine God saying that about you. David must have been the exception, right? David must have been exceptional in a way that you or I cannot hope to be, right? At the very least, David must not have been faced with the same temptations and sin nature that we are, right? Not so fast. 2 Samuel 11 verses 1 through 3 begins the account of the sin that caused David to write Psalm 51, which we're reading from this morning. He committed adultery which led him to be deceptive and try to cover his sin, which led him to murder a man who was not only innocent but immensely loyal to him. Then he went through the charade of pretending to grieve for this man with, at his funeral. And when that was done, he took the man's wife for his own and tried to go on living as though nothing had ever happened. He refused to face his sin. Instead, he tried to hide it and pretend it never happened. Now, that sounds like something I would do. That sounds like something you would do. It doesn't necessarily sound like something a man after God's own heart would do, does it? And yet he was. I believe that the saved Christian after having the blood of Christ applied, is also a man or woman after God's own heart. 
And just like David, we are still susceptible to sin. You know, David became a liar and a betrayer all because he tarried. Because he sent others into the field of battle for God. He didn't go himself. And when he tarried, he found sin waiting for him on that rooftop. And the perspective that I want to accentuate this morning is that David did all these things after he had been dedicated to God. After. Friends, we must ask ourselves, am I lingering on the rooftop while God's battle rages in the distance? How long before catastrophe strikes if we choose to remain on that rooftop when God is calling us into the battlefield? If you're experiencing the warning signs that your spiritual blood pressure is up, then perhaps it's time to take your medicine. Submit to the cleansing power of the hyssop that is Jesus Christ and deal with the sin that is in your life. You see, David got a little too confident. He got a little complacent about having God's support. He got a little too comfortable about being chosen by God. And he stopped receiving that cleansing power medicine of God for a while. What it was, we don't exactly know. It could have been daily prayer, could have been meditation, could have been reading the Scripture, could have simply been seeking God's will. But whatever it was, David became vulnerable. He got sick. He became overburdened. He lost his joy. And ultimately, he impeded his fellowship with God. Willful, unrepented of sin separates from God. Now, as I was doing some reading, I came across some commentary that compares marriage fellowship to our fellowship with God the Father. This guy says, Every married couple has experienced the temporary loss of fellowship. When a word or action offends a spouse, there is a loss of closeness in the relationship. The root meaning of fellowship is oneness. Two become one in marriage. But sin can break that oneness until the offense is dealt with through confession and forgiveness. The marriage doesn't end because of the offense, but intimacy is short-circuited. It's the same with us and God. Our sin will separate us from God until it is dealt with. God sent Jesus into this world to deal with our sins so that we might be reconciled to Him and have our oneness with Him restored. That's 2 Corinthians 5.19. What happens if we sin as believers? We're not just cast aside, but our fellowship is interrupted until we say about our sin the same things that Jesus and God says about our sins. That's what confess literally means. To say the same thing. Because of Christ's sacrifice for our sins, we can be forgiven and our fellowship be restored. 1 John 1 verse 9. But we must confess. Don't let sin short-circuit your fellowship with God. Confess. Be reconciled to Him. A.W. Tozer once said, The fellowship of God is delightful beyond all telling. That is so true. Now, sometimes we don't dwell enough on how peaceful, content, and happy we are when we're in right fellowship with God. But when that fellowship is broken, you won't be able to focus on anything but that. The reality is, before we can truly repent, we must be broken over our sins. David became so broken over his sins that he asked God to be washed until he was whiter than snow. He didn't want to just be clean. He wanted to be ultra clean. You know, when you think of snow, it's remarkable for its whiteness. What is there in nature that's whiter than snow? 
There is nothing in nature, but in the kingdom of grace there is. I have two versions of the same passage of Scripture up there. King James on the left, and then a version that I never use on the right because I don't like paraphrased Bibles. But in this case, I have it up here because it had such an interesting way of saying it that I wanted you to hear it. It says, Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow-white life. Tune me in to foot-tapping songs. Set these once broken bones to dancing. Don't look too close for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, God. And I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God, and I'll let, let, let loose with your praise. When you have your fellowship restored with God after it's been temporarily broken, you will be filled with such joy, such excitement that you won't be able to help but dance right out the door on those once broken bones that have been healed. You'll be filled with joy and song and praise just welling up in you like a fountain. You will be so happy it will remind you of the day you were baptized. You know, some people say, well, just like marriage, the longer you're married, the less you feel, you know, infatuated with your wife or husband or whatever. But a wise man once said that if you don't love your wife more now than you did when you first met her, chances are you don't love her at all. And the same thing is true with God. It is not natural for those feelings of praise and excitement and joy to fade with time. If that has happened, the odds are your fellowship has been interrupted due to undealt with sin in your life. This lesson this morning has primarily been for the Christian, as I said, because the truth of the fallen condition of mankind is that we remain prone to wander, and too often I feel that we're dealing with the consequences of sin in our lives, but we are ashamed and in denial about it. And when this happens, we may end up failing to repent, and the reverberations of that in our life are so destructive, it's like an earthquake in a city. But it need not be that way. We have a great hope, a merciful and gracious Savior, and a direct line with the sovereign creator of the universe thanks to the indwelling Holy Spirit making intercession for us. We will get dirty sometimes, but we have the means to get clean. Praise God. 1 John 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When God chose the cleansing agent for our souls, 
He chose the very best he had, the blood of his own son. It is by the precious blood of our Lord that we're cleansed from all sins. If you leave here today feeling depressed, offended, angry, worried, or distressed, it may be because I've struck a nerve. It may be because there is sin that's undealt with in your life. And I don't want to give you an excuse from my meager abilities to feel bad when you leave. So what I'd like to do is we're going to end this lesson providing some very strong encouragement. We're going to go through just a couple of verses here in the next couple of slides. And I just want you to see here what God says He does with our confessed, repented of, and forgiven sins. Psalms 86, verse 5. For Thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon Thee. Hebrews 8, 12. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no, no more. God is such a wonderful person. Despite everything we've ever done, and continue to do and will do. He wants to forgive us. Isn't that amazing? Think about that. Psalms 103, verse 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Do you know how long it takes to walk from east to west? Forever. Because the east and the west are not fixed points. They are directions. God is forever moving in the direction of forgiveness and He is forever leaving our sins behind Him. Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am He that blotteth out thy transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember thy sins. Can God actually forget a thing? By accident or whatever? No. He is omniscient. He knows all things. What he does is he chooses to not remember. He blanks the slate. He cleans the hard drive. He burns the record. God chooses forgiveness just like he chooses to love the unlovable. Consider that a, when you think about a relationship, think about a marriage or something. It's always a more reliable relationship when the person chooses a feeling or action rather than responding to what a person deserves. We can fall out of favor. We can fail to do the right thing. Fortunately, God does not forgive us for only as long as we please Him or as, for as long as we can live without sin. Instead, God forgives on Jesus' completed work alone. Micah 7.19 He will turn again he will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. This is my favorite verse out of this entire message. I love this verse. Think of that sin that you cannot control in your life. <clears throat> Think of that thing from your past that haunts you. God says He will attack those things Himself. He will pin them down. He will squeeze the life out of them. It'll hog time and He will chunk them into the deepest part of the ocean, as it were.
I have that information up there on the board. Now, if you were able to do that, imagine throwing something into the deepest part of the sea. You see what that says there? I know the, the uh, type is small, but Mount Everest, if it were placed in there, that's the highest mountain on the earth. People die from trying to climb to the top of Mount Everest. And yet, if you placed it in the Mariana Trench, it would still be covered by over a mile of water. That's pretty deep. That's inconceivably deep as far as this physical realm is concerned. And that's where God said He chunks our sins. And if you could do that, would you be able to retrieve them? Would you be reminded of them? Would you ever see them again? No, no, and no. I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions, and as a cloud thy sins return unto me, for I have redeemed thee. You might think that your sin creates such a sight that it cannot be hidden. Maybe you would compare it to the brightness of the sun. The sun is blinding in its radiance. You can't stare at it. And I know some of my sins, they seem to shine brightly. They are ever-present in my mind's eye. But think of what happens to the sun when a thundercloud rolls in front of it. Regardless of how bright the sun is, you cannot see it through the cloud, can you? And brothers and sisters in Christ, that is what happens when God forgives your sin. He rolls the cloud of Jesus' blood in front of the sun of your sin and you cannot see it. You cannot see through it. You will never see through it. He sees your righteousness as Christ's righteousness imputed to you. That is the wonderful thing that Jesus has done for us. We can be so overjoyed by that. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And there is God's answer to David's prayer, isn't it? David wanted to be cleansed so that he was white as snow. And God here says that that is exactly what he will do. Finally, Romans 4, 7 through 8. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Do you know who that man is? That's you. That's me. That's any one of us that will confess and repent before the Lord of whatever our sins are. We have no reason to live in shame and fear. We only have reason to be overjoyed and happy and get to work for the Lord. And if you can't do that, change your perspective. Put it on these things and you will find that you have nothing to be upset about, <laughs> nothing to be sad about, nothing to be depressed over, nothing to be angry about. None of it matters. We have the most blessed hope. And we need to be about the business of sharing that with the lost of this world. And we can do that. Precious friend, what more do you need to know? What more do you need to hear? Don't let your sin burden you down any longer. Don't let your joy be poisoned by the grief of failure. Don't live another moment in sadness, anger, doubt, regret, inaction, bitterness, or fear. Do as David did. Humble yourself, acknowledge your sin before God, cry out to Him for forgiveness. And remember, He wants to hear you say it. 
Remember, confess means to agree with. Tell God you agree with Him about your sinful state and that you want to change it. Repent. He will forgive you. Yes, He knows what you did. He wants to hear you say it. He wants to hear you acknowledge it and agree with Him. He'll turn your bitterness to joy. He'll turn your tears into testimonies of praise. He'll turn your doubts into courage. He'll turn your fear into peace. He'll turn your anger into compassion. He will turn your doubt into calm assurance, and He will turn your inaction into a reaction of the Holy Spirit that is so strong you won't be able to sit still. So if you need to be baptized or if you need the prayers of the church, we invite you to come forward at this time as we stand and sing the invitation song. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Christ, send us a message at facebook.com slash cfcnwa. To find more sermons, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and like our Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and God bless.